Let us cry out to the Lord again and ask for his help. Oh Lord, we we ask just that, that you might help us. As your word is read and preached, that you would open our eyes and ears to your truth. That our hearts would be made soft, that the Spirit would work and plant seeds and plow ground, bringing forth a great harvest. We might see it in the days and years and months ahead. That, Lord, we might even leave this very place through the means of grace being changed by the Spirit, being made more like our Savior, Jesus, whom we love dearly. Lord, we ask that you would do this in his name. Amen. We're going to continue our move through the book of Acts. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 13, we're going to conclude chapter 13 today as we look at verses 13 through 52. As we look at this sermon, a summary of it at least, that's given by Paul, uh, the first one that is uh, recorded in the scriptures that we have here before us. I'll remind you as you're, as you're turning to Acts or getting there in your devices that uh, Acts is written to confirm the certainty that the Lord Jesus Christ is building his church. Amen. We see that even in our own midst. We see it throughout church history and we have been seeing it as we've been moving through Acts together. Paul and Barnabas are going to head off to Antioch in Poseidon. That's in uh, the inner portions of what's now Turkey. So they're going to get on a ship and they're going to, they're going to leave Cyprus now as they continue on their uh, missionary trip as they seek to proclaim the gospel to all of those who will listen. You'll notice that John Mark leaves the missionary team. There's not anything given to us. We can understand why or what happened, though we will see again later in, in Acts as we come to it that... Uh, that Paul is not interested in having John Mark join, rejoin them at that time. And he and Barnabas will actually split ways. But in God's providence, that will help to multiply the kingdom work. And we see, if you read in the pastoral epistles, giving a little more context, that, that Paul tells Timothy that, that John Mark is, uh, is a blessing and very fruitful to the work of the ministry. So we don't know everything that's happening there, but we're thankful that in God's providence, though this the split happens to the team. It is for the good of God's people and the glory of our great God. And we'll also see here a pattern. Paul and Barnabas are going to go to the Jews first in the synagogue, and then from there to the Gentiles with the gospel. All right, well, that's a little bit of context and setting, hopefully, to prepare you as we now dive in to read God's Word together. So listen, this is God's perfect, inerrant, and sufficient Word for all of life. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets... The rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, in you who fear God, listen. 
The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days... He appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath... 
Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Amen. Amen. So as we just read through there, we we read a summary of uh, the first recorded sermon that Paul gives in Acts. First recorded summary of a sermon that we have of Paul in his uh, mighty proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and of the gospel therein. One of the things I want us to notice, you know, we're here this morning listening to a sermon, and by you know, God's grace, we have the opportunity to come together each Lord's Day and hear the reading and preaching of God's Word. We hear sermons proclaimed. Uh, but I, I don't want us to be mistaken and, and not realize that, that each and every day of life we hear sermons. We have a culture that is preaching to us. Children, we have a culture that is preaching to you. And you need to keep that in mind, not only parents and, and grandparents, but all of us. It's not just our children that we want to to help understand the realities of what is coming their way, but it is you as well, adults. The culture preaches sermons that are full of of false gospels and and, and false philosophies that go against the Scriptures. And there's a couple couple of uh, categories that many of these false sermons come from. And they touch on power and pleasure and pride and profit. So a bunch of P's. Maybe we can keep that in our mind. Power and pleasure and pride and, and, and profit. Think about this and, and recognize these things as you hear and see them. And perhaps even right now, think about some as I, as I touched on just a few. We th- power. We're told power is important. And many in our culture seek after power in and the politicians they follow or the party that they support wanting power. For it is power in their mind that makes the rules. You know? The just is decided by those with might. So it is those who have the power. But we're also told that power in relationships were sold that lie. Whereas the scriptures tell us that we are to be those that serve others. To put others before us power in many, many places we see it. And many of these overlap. Pleasure. We are preached constantly false 
sermons about pleasure, that we are to seek our ultimate pleasure, whether it be in, in sexual gratification or in drugs or alcohol and its numbing that it brings or entertainment, things that might help us in our own mind to enjoy life in a way that God is not Intended, but it is not a real joy. It is like what the psalmist says, what seems to be like honey hits the tongue and as it goes into the belly is felt and realized it's gravel. It's horrible. Power, pleasure, and pride. Strange you-do-you world that we live in. This pride that that we believe we can be in some way little demigods, little demigoddesses, that we are able to, to even pronounce what reality is instead of understanding and receiving the reality that God has created. And then profit, I mentioned, not to say that money is evil. Uh, we understand that it is not. But greed and covetousness that is tied with the pursuit or the desire for it is power, pleasure, Pride, prophet. These are the, the false sermons that are preached to us where we're told of false messiahs. These are the places where one might get salvation, where one's guilt might be assuaged or, or shame covered up. It is in these areas. But it is all empty, empty, dear saints, empty. But as we look at the passage that we read through, and even as we read through the summary of the sermon that Paul gives, that what we see is that that salvation from your sins comes through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look at three things. Salvation is always of the Lord. Salvation is only of the Lord. And salvation is entirely of the Lord. Always, only, and entirely. That's what we're going to spend the next few moments looking at together. So always, salvation is, is always of the Lord, dealing with, with, with history and time and the movement from, from creation to the consummation of the new heavens and the new earth and return of Christ. Paul's spirit-empowered gospel-focused history lesson is given to his, his Jewish hearers, but also the God-fearing hearers that are there. Remember that the God-fearing ones, those are Gentiles who have, have not converted all the way to Judaism. They've not gone all the way to to submit to everything, but they, they are God-fearers. They believe the message, the gospel that is proclaimed in God's Word. They are looking for the Messiah that is promised and is coming. And that is who Paul is speaking to. As I mentioned, Paul and Barnabas are now in, in, in inland Turkey today. Look on a map. They've, they've gone up from Cyprus they get there and you notice that uh, Paul and Barnabas are given the opportunity. The law has been read and they're asked, do you have a word to encourage us? Now, of course, Paul being a good preacher, he's asked, do you want to preach? Paul, yeah, he's pumped. He's excited. Of course, he wants to get up and tell the good news. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah has come. And so he does. And he stands up and and. Just to give you a little context here, the synagogue liturgy is very similar to even our liturgy that we enjoy on each Lord's Day. So there are prayers that are given. There's singing, particularly of of psalms. Uh, There's reciting of psalms, confessions of sin, confessions of faith are made. God's word is read and God's word is preached. So Paul steps forward and has this opportunity to preach and he recounts. God's covenant faithfulness 
to his people. And he begins, even though he touches on using the term you know, sons of, of Abraham. So in one way, he goes all the way back to Abraham, but he particularly begins at, at God's faithfulness and caring for and growing the Israelite people in Egypt. And then in his deliverance, as he draws them out in the Exodus, his, his movement of patience through the wilderness, his care for them through judges and prophets. And then kings, particularly King David, who is a type pointing forward to the Messiah. And all the promises that are in his word that the Messiah would come. And then he continues and then he concludes this history lesson as he works his way through and says, and God has done it. The Messiah has come. He is here. Look to the Lord Jesus Christ as he unpacks the great gospel, who Jesus is, what he's done, and the call to repentance and faith in him. Paul is bold. Think He gets invited to come up in front of the synagogue, and, and he could get up and turn to any portion of the Old Testament, and he could preach on many things that would, that would be very godly and biblical and would not drive the gospel home to his hearers. But he doesn't. He's courageous. He doesn't step away from the opportunity. God opens a door, and by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit-empowered preaching, Paul steps right into it and proclaims Christ and Christ boldly to these faithful Jewish synagogue attenders and these Gentiles who are God-fearing. Now, Paul's spirit-empowered gospel focused lesson he gives is, is not just an interesting thing we look at and go, oh, that's you know, kind of like we read history books and we're like, oh, that's interesting. But this is important for us as well, for you to pay attention to this. Now, one of the things that hopefully you've picked up on or you can read through Acts and see it, there are several sermons recorded or at least the summary of the sermons. Each of these sermons begins a little differently. So you remember back in the beginning in in Acts 2, Peter gets up and preaches to a large crowd. And and his sermon begins with, hey, seriously, we're not drunk. That's the beginning of that sermon. We're not drunk. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the promises of God that are being fulfilled. You are witnessing what God prophesied would happen. And then you move your way through in each of the, these sermons, and we'll even see some as we continue. They start differently. This one particularly begins with Paul laying out the history of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. But one thing you're going to see, one thing that is consistent, they might all start differently, but they all drive their way through in God's word, and they get to the same point. Every one of these sermons and acts that are recorded, they conclude and they drive towards and they focus on the point that the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the promised Messiah. He has come. He is the one. He is the one that, in which salvation is found when you repent and turn to Him in faith by God's grace. That is the consistent story and theme we see. Now, Paul uh, begins this, this history with, with God's people, and, and history is a, is a word that comes from the Greek that we have, and, and it's a, a Greek word that means to know. You know, you've probably heard some people say history, that's talking about his story, God's story. They can put those two things together, particularly children, you can keep this in mind. And when we think of history, it's to, 
to see and to know God's story, what it is he's doing. That's what history is. It's a wonderful thing for us to, to pay attention to. But this isn't just something, this history that Paul gives isn't just for first century Jews. This is also something for, for Christians in the 21st century as well as, as it has been for the last 2,000 years as we turn to Galatians chapter 3, we read in verse 7, Know then that, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. You remember Paul said that specifically, sons of Abraham, he addressed the crowd. But the Holy Spirit tells us that we are sons of Abraham by faith. A little farther into that chapter, in verse uh, 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise This history that's been given here in that sermon by Paul, that's not just the history for the Jews. That's the history of God's people. That's your history. That's just like the Scriptures. Don't make a mistake of thinking, well, if once I get to the Old Testament, that was was for the Jews. This is our Bible, dear saints, that God has given to His church, His people. It shows us and reveals to us his work through redemptive history, his covenant faithfulness, what he's done, the promises he's made, how he's fulfilled them, and what's coming and where we're going. These are ours, our our promises, our history. All of those by faith, whether they have Jewish DNA or Gentile DNA. And this history even impacts those who don't believe or trust in Jesus. Because it is redemptive history. It's important. It's reality. It's truth. It's what cannot be escaped, but drives and pushes towards a call to repentance and faith in Christ. So always, even as we move forward and look at our salvation is only of the Lord. Paul's spirit-empowered sermon makes it clear to the Jews that the Messiah they were waiting for has arrived. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's who they've been waiting for. This promise is now fulfilled, and they can see it in Christ. The Ten Commandments made clear then and made clear now that we're all sinful. It's very hard to read the Ten Commandments or even just the summary. Love the Lord God with your entire being and and love your neighbors yourself and, and walk away from that and not say, well, yes, I'm a sinner, at least if you're honest. So it's clear that we're, we're sinful, we're in need of, of salvation. The, the Jews understood that. The, the gospel message has been the same then and now. We are in need of this, this salvation. And even if one were to deny that, your very conscience tells you that. You cannot hide from it. The Bible is clear that no one can keep the law perfectly. Only one, the Lord Jesus Christ, did that. And he kept it for all those who believe in him. Born in a sinful world with a sinful nature. And Paul's Jewish hearers understood from the scriptures that they needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior who would pay the debt they owed for their sin. They saw that. They knew that. It was before them. They weren't looking for other ways of salvation. They held the oracles of God. They understood them. 
though there was, a, as Christ confronted, sadly, in that day, a, a pursuit and a, and a desire, like we even see in the church today, to, to, to hold on to a salvation by works righteousness that we might believe that we could be good enough. Yes, that is there, but, it, but there is still a clear remnant holding to and believing and, and salvation they went through the, the ritual cultic acts of the Old Testament, looking forward to the Messiah who would come, placing their hope upon his work. And now Paul comes and reveals to them that this Messiah is here, and he is the only one. And he unpacks through God's word as he's quoting different psalms and portions of Scripture. And then he makes a very clear Application as he's working through particularly the Messianic Psalms. He quotes things that might perhaps have been attributed if one were to think in a lazy way to David. You know, tomorrow we're going to celebrate the independence of our nation. And, and I think of all, you know, of all of our founding fathers, the one that probably steps forward the most, that we all remember our first president, George Washington. We have to be thankful for Washington. God used him in a mighty way without him and who knows? Yes, God could have risen someone else up to take his place. But in God's providence, it was Washington he used in mighty ways to bring about the formation of our nation, independence from the British crown. But children, I don't think any of you would be shocked if I said George Washington is no longer alive. He's not with us anymore. All those monuments that remind us of what he did because he's gone. So Paul makes that point to the, to the Jews he makes that point to the, to the God-fearers. He says these promises that are made, this, this promise of incorruptibleness, of, uh, of never having the body decay in, in the grave, those can't be about David. You know David's dead. We all know that. We know where his tomb is. These are messianic promises, promises fulfilled in Christ. For Jesus is raised. He is alive, never to die. Lord Jesus Christ, our promised Messiah. And Paul's spirit-empowered sermon makes it clear that salvation, whether yesterday, today, or tomorrow, is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation's always through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. There, there is not an all-roads-lead-to-Rome mentality. Now, that is the thing that the world hates to hear the most. That is, if you've noticed, there are many things that the world and car culture will put up with with the church. They're happy when the church is, is out trying to care for those who are in need. That's fine. But the moment the church stands and says, Thus says God, repent and turn in faith to Christ or you will be lost. The moment those things are said, those claims that are true are made, that is when the world loses its mind. Even as we'll see here in a moment. As sadly, many of the Jews hearing this, while many responded because the Spirit gave them life, others were infuriated, even as we see around us today. In the Old Testament, it was the same. Looking forward to the Messiah, the New Testament looks to Christ who came, the Messiah. Even as we look to Jesus now, the center of redemptive history and all of history. Don't ever want to shy away from believing this great truth, telling it, witnessing it, rejoicing in the gospel no matter what the cost. 
I'm reminded in verse 38, back to Acts 13. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. It's talking about Jesus. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. That's where our hope lies in the Lord Jesus Christ as he is proclaimed. So we've seen that salvation is always of the Lord, salvation is only of the Lord. And, and finally, we look at salvation is entirely of the Lord. Paul's spirit-empowered sermon makes it clear that God is sovereign. You cannot read, hear this sermon summary, let alone all of the Scriptures, and not see God is in control. God is almighty. We can have a lot of arguments, and it's interesting. People believe a lot of things about where did humanity come from, where did people come from, how did people get here. But if you really, really want to get into some difficult conversations with folks, whether they are uh, trained in the hard or soft sciences. Drive down to explain existence. Not just like how do we have a conscience and how do we, but I mean existence. Like how is this here? And at some point you always get back to the strange, well, the universe is just eternal and it goes through cycles or or it does this or that, but you, they can't ever escape that the universe couldn't create itself. So it either has to be eternal, which is a very strange thing, which in one sense would make the universe, the matter that is all around us, in a way, God. Or there is a creator God who is almighty outside of time and space. And that is what God has revealed to us in his word, that he spoke all things, time, space, into existence and filled the universe. So we look at that and we come to the reality that, that everything is created by the power of God. Then the idea that God is in control of all things, well, that just makes sense. I mean, if God was not, he couldn't really be God, could he? So it's not hard to see that he's sovereign and completely in control. And you see this, follow, follow uh, the argument that the Holy Spirit makes through Paul. Just let me touch on this. So get in your scripture. Go back to the beginning of his sermon. So verse 17, God chose Jacob and Israel and his 12 sons. God chose to make the Hebrews numerous in captivity. God freed them from captivity. Verse 18, God put up with Israel in the wilderness. Verse 19, God gave the promised land. God cleared the promised land. God is doing these things. Verse 20, God gave the judges. Verse 21 to 22, God gave them kings. God gave them David who foreshadowed. He was a type looking towards the Messiah. Verse 23, God gave the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Verse 26, God sent men to preach the gospel. Verse 29, God caused every prophecy of the Messiah to come true in Jesus Christ. Verse 30, God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 32 to 41, Paul quotes Old Testament passages showing God's messianic promises were not met in David, but the one he foreshadowed because God made it happen. God made it possible. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that this is all pointing towards. Do you see the consistent theme that's moving throughout? God did. God did. God did. God did not sit back and wonder what his people would do and then did an audible working off of that. 
But God is in control and moving and working these things. And Paul's spirit-empowered sermon makes it clear that God is sovereign even in salvation, even as you see the recounting of His sovereignty there and His moving through redemptive history, even more specific when we think about the, the redemption of His people and the particular application of that redemption to one who believes. There in Acts 13, back to our passage, starting in verse 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Every single person that God had appointed to eternal life. From the hearing of that sermon, the Spirit worked and it happened. That's why in what seems to be such a silly thing, we can gather together and share the gospel with someone else and we can trust beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that God, God's perfect will is going to happen. That's why we can share the hope of Jesus without having to, to carry the burden that, that crushes so many of thinking that if I don't, if I don't perfectly say this, if it's not the exact perfect moment, if, if everything is, if I, don't, if I don't twist things and convince someone and do it, It's not going to happen and just relax. Just be faithful. The Spirit is working. Don't get your stomach turned up in knots when you have opportunities to talk about Jesus. Just talk about the Lord you love, the hope you have, and trust the Spirit will work. Be courageous and bold. The Spirit is the one. That is the prayer that we have and we pray repeatedly and we continue to pray and we will be praying. But all those that God has appointed in salvation, He will bring and gather. And we're thankful. The Spirit is working even as we seek to be faithful. But, but if it was just this one passage, you would think, oh, well, you know, I don't know, maybe we can work around this. It's crystal clear as this is, but, but we're encouraged. We're encouraged by the truth of the Word of who our God is. Even as you turn to, to John, just, we'll just read one verse in chapter 6, 44. No one can, this is Jesus speaking. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That will make you feel secure. We could go to John 10, where it talks about where Jesus says, No one, nothing can take one of my sheep from me. Maybe, I don't want to be rude, but. I'll say you, our, our stupidity can't cause us to be taken from Christ. Our foolishness, our laziness, our mistakes, our sin. Those who have been bought, those who have repented, professed faith in Christ. They are sure, sure in Him. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those that who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Ephesians chapter 1. 
Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven things on earth in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory and it continues on and on from there just one more we go back to Romans in chapter 9 Starting in verse 13, as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And it goes on and on. I'll leave that to you to read on your own. What difference does this make in your life? Just verses we read, but what what difference does this truth make? I hope it makes all the difference. First, I hope it causes each of you and myself to fall on our faces and worship before God. And to realize that we did not step to God and bring our greatness. And he was not amazed and had to have us and chase us down. But he chased us down. Not because of who we are, but because of who He is. So that when you find yourself in one of those weak spots, when you're in the valley, and your faith is weak, that you look back to these truths and you're reminded of who God is and the love that He has for His people. And that is sure. It's not something that changes Our Heavenly Father is not like an earthly father who says one thing and does another. He keeps His promises. He's covenant faithful. So may it cause us to love our triune God more, Father, Son, Spirit. May it humble us. And may it help us to to be more patient and long-suffering and merciful towards our neighbors. May we be more bold in sharing our hope in Christ with them, knowing that, that, that though we may interact with someone, that, that we think they are so deep, they are so confused or fooled or, or in, in twisted in their sin, that we would never think that they are beyond God's grace, but instead that we would lovingly share the gospel and serve them with the hope of Christ. Some of us have been in a place where maybe someone looked at us. I think I was. Before the Lord saved me, there were probably some that looked at me and said, I don't know. I don't know if grace is that big. Perhaps some of you also can testify to that reality and God's goodness and grace that broke through. It make us trust the Lord more. Be thankful for His goodness and grace and 
be reminded that all appointed to eternal life will believe always, only, entirely. May we remember that salvation from your sins comes through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the Spirit who, who applies it to our hearts. Lord, we're thankful that all of those whom you've appointed unto salvation, all of those whom you've appointed to grow in your grace as disciples of Christ, that, Lord, the stumbling words of your servant can't become a barrier or a wall to these things. That even as we go out this week and we love on others and, and as we boldly tell them of Christ and and Lord, as we allow our praises of Him and our thankfulness for your, for your Word and Your truth to roll from our lips in conversations, Lord, we're thankful that we, that we know that as we are faithful that the Spirit is working. Lord, we're thankful that even as we look around us and, and as we're about to celebrate our nation's independence and we look around and there is some concerns in many different areas, At the same time, we're reminded that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords who's sovereign and in control of all things, that our hope is not found in the gift of the nation that we live in, but it's it's found in the giver, the King of kings. It's found in Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that these means of grace would bring forth great fruit in our lives for your glory and our benefit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.